Welcome to Ancient Words, Modern Message. I'm your host, Roger Womble. The past is a mirror, and the more we examine what came before us, the more we can understand where we are heading. In this second in a series of studies from Zechariah 7 through Zechariah 11, entitled Promises Made, Promises Kept, the Old Testament prophet declares God's message regarding the future of the land of Israel and its largest city, Jerusalem, a future radically different from its past, a future which can only be brought about by an almighty God. Join us in this study of This Land is His Land. We are going to begin this evening by looking at the text of Zechariah chapter 8, or looking at this this section of Zechariah 8. And you'll notice that I I have actually taken two different portions of Zechariah chapter 8 And it's actually the first eight verses, and then skipping to verse 20 to the end of the chapter. So we're going to come back two weeks from today, and we're going to look at those intervening verses, 9 through 19. Uh, But for a reason that I hope you'll see in just a little while, I've decided to have us look at these two portions in particular. I should start out by, by making it very clear to you that I believe that the scriptures are very clear in indicating that there is a time in the future to which the prophets have pointed, certainly the Old Testament prophets, certainly the book of Revelation. There is a time in the future when Jesus Christ himself bodily is going to return to this earth. Zechariah in chapter 14 says that the Lord's feet will stand upon the Mount of Olives. You remember, of course, that it was from the Mount of Olives that Jesus ascended into heaven. And you'll remember that as as that ascension was taking place and the disciples were standing around watching it, uh, angels appeared to them and said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who is taken taken up from among you, will in like manner come back to you. I don't know that those words could be any more literally fulfilled than if Jesus returns to this earth, as Zechariah says the Lord will do, and the first spot that he touches when he returns to this earth will be the last spot he touched before he left. The same Jesus who was taken up from among you will in like manner, just like this, return to you. So I believe that Jesus is going to return bodily. I believe he is returning for the purpose of establishing an earthly reign here on this globe, on this planet. And I believe that Jesus is literally going to rule and reign over the world. And the center of that reigning, that kingdom, is going to be the city of Jerusalem. Now, having said that, uh, I want you to know that that's the backdrop against which 
Uh, I'm placing our study this evening and some other studies as we move through the book of Zechariah. But as you take a look at your notes there, I would remind you that Zechariah, the prophet, one of the 12 minor prophets, was speaking to the Jews of his day. And the Jews of his day, of course, were the Jews of the southern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel had already essentially disintegrated because the, the 10 northern tribes of Israel, of course, were invaded by Assyria. And in 722 BC, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, Samaria, fell. And the Jews of the northern kingdom were dispersed. Many of them were carried off into captivity, never to return uh, at that point in time. And so there was no return from the northern kingdom at that time. But of course, the southern kingdom continued on for a period of time until the Babylonian invasion, which began around 606 BC. There was a series of invasions by the Babylonian army under Nebuchadnezzar and others. And finally, in 586 BC, the city of Jerusalem was completely destroyed. The temple uh, that was in the city of Jerusalem was completely destroyed torn down, uh, and there was a group of exiles, Jews, who were carried off into Babylon. Among those were members of Zechariah's family. And it is likely that Zechariah himself was born, perhaps, in exile in Babylon. And then perhaps as a young child, when a remnant of Jews, after 70 years in Babylon, when a remnant of Jews returned to their homeland when Cyrus, the king of Persia, was now ruling, uh, that it was Zechariah's family who returned from exile in Babylon. And so Zechariah comes onto the scene around 520 BC. And of course, as a prophet, uh, one of the main features of his work as a prophet was to speak to the Jews of his day. And he does that, and we'll see that repeatedly in the book of Zechariah. However, in addition to that, though, uh, the words that Zechariah spoke, that the Lord gave him to speak, also point to events in the far-off future. And we now know that those events were at least 2,500 years into the future. Well, how do we know that? Well, because Zechariah prophesied in 520 BC, here we are in 2021, right? Here we are in 2021, uh, over 2,500 years later, and there are things that Zechariah prophesied that have not yet come to pass. So he was pointing to the future. And uh, chapter 7 is an important pivotal point. And you remember from our study two weeks ago how chapter 7 ended. Chapter 7 ended with a grim reminder to the Jews of the southern kingdom of the consequences of Israel's disobedience and their rebellion against God. And you'll remember in Isaiah, or excuse me, in Zechariah chapter 7, you'll remember that God through Zechariah points out that there were prophets of the Lord who came to the Jews of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and spoke the word of the law the Lord, and spoke commandments. And you'll remember that the response of the Jewish people was to turn a deaf ear to those prophets. They would not hear what God had to tell them 
through the prophets. As a result of that, God decided that he would punish them for their disobedience and their rebellion. And here are the words that are very, very sobering words that we saw in Zechariah chapter 7, verse 13. Therefore, it has come to pass that as he cried, that's referring to God, as God cried through the prophets, and they would not hear, so they cried, and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. Because they did not listen to the Lord, the Lord caused them to experience the punishment for that. And the punishment for that, verse 14, was this. I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations whom they knew not. Thus the land was desolate after them, that no man passed through nor returned, for they laid the pleasant land desolate. What were the consequences of Israel's disobedience and rebellion? Well, there was dispersion. They were carried off. In the case of the northern kingdom of Israel, they, they were carried off and not to return. In the case of the southern kingdom of Israel, they were carried off and a small remnant returned uh, around Zechariah's day. But the point is, they were carried off and the pleasant land, which is the land of Israel, at least it was then, the pleasant land became desolate. And that those were the consequences. But now we pick up with chapter 8 of Zechariah. Uh, and and this begins, chapter 8 begins, with God's declaration of his love for his land, uh, the land of God, the land of Israel, his declaration of his love for his land, and especially, as I said, the crown jewel, which is the city of Jerusalem. It is called Zion, oftentimes. Sometimes it's called Mount Zion, because you see Jerusalem is actually on a mountain. Mount Zion. So that is another name for Jerusalem, Mount Zion. Uh, or, in fact, sometimes it's called the Holy Mountain. And so those are all names for Jerusalem. Zion, Mount Zion, the Holy Mountain. And chapter 8 begins with God's declaration of his love for that land. Look at the first two verses. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy. And I am jealous for her with great wrath. That's a very passionate expression where God says, I, I love the land of Israel. Specifically, I love the city of Jerusalem. I, I love it so much that I'm jealous for it. And when those who don't acknowledge how much I love the land, uh, my response is, I am angry with great wrath. So that is a clear expression of God's special land, if you are special love, if you will, for the land of Israel and specifically for the city of Jerusalem. And now what we notice as we read on in this passage is that it is that love that God has that compels him to act. And this then is a reference to God acting in the future. Because what I want you to see is the things that God says through Zechariah are going to take place in the land, but specifically in Jerusalem, have not yet taken place. Uh, and so, in, but however, having said that, sometimes in the prophets, the statement that is made makes it seem as if it has already come to pass. So look at verse three, if you would, please. 
Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion. And that makes it sound like it's already happened. I have returned to Zion and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Uh, It makes it seem as if that's already happened. I've returned to Zion. But what we're going to see is the, the verses that follow make it clear that this hasn't already happened. It is going to happen in the future. Actually, technically, that is a technique that is used by the prophets. It's called the prophetic present, the prophetic present. And the the strict definition of that technique is this. The prophetic present is that which is yet future, but is so certain that we speak as if it has already taken place. So when God says, I return to Zion, and this is what's happening, this is what's going to happen. Uh, It is as if God is saying, it's so absolutely certain, it is as if it already takes place. Well, what is it that God says he is going to do in Jerusalem specifically? Well, first of all, we read that he is going to do something spiritually for Jerusalem. Verse 3, notice the description of Jerusalem sometime in the future. I have returned to Zion. I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain, the faithful city. I remind you that the Jews who lived in Jerusalem and throughout the land of Israel were far from faithful to God in the past. It could not have been, in years gone by, referred to as the faithful city. Frankly, it couldn't be called the mountain of the Lord of hosts. Sure, the temple was there. But in reality, the people did not acknowledge that it was the mountain of the Lord of hosts. And they did not acknowledge it was the holy mountain. So what God is going to do is a spiritual transformation of the city of Jerusalem. Not only is he going to work in such a way that things change spiritually, but he's going to work in such a way that things change culturally. Look at the the next two verses, verses four and five. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Now this is a description of Jerusalem. Try Try to imagine this. And some of you have walked Jerusalem. You've walked the streets of Jerusalem with Phyllis and me. And you know it's a crazy place. Uh, and so I want to ask you, does this sound like the Jerusalem that you saw? Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand playing checkers. Are you awake? It doesn't say that. <laughs> old, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Man, that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Everybody is just enjoying peace. It's just a fantastic. You can even say it's the city of peace. Incidentally, when David decided to set up Jerusalem as the capital of the Jewish people, it actually was under the possession of a group of people known as the Jebusites. And the name that they had given in their language to the city of Jerusalem, what we know as Jerusalem, was Uru Salam. 
Uru Salam. That's not Hebrew. It's a Canaanitish language. Uru Salam, which literally means city of peace. So, for example, Salem in Jerusalem, Salem means peace. Shalom is peace. Salam in Arabic is peace. Jerusalem, by its name, is the city of peace, and yet there is no city on the face of the earth that has been so torn by war and conflict and division as the city of Jerusalem. All you have to do is think about the address of Mahmoud Abbas on Friday to the General Assembly when he said Israel must withdraw from the pre uh, from the 1967 uh, result of the Six Day War to pre 1967. That includes moving out of East Jerusalem, because prior to 1967, the Jordanians had possession of East Jerusalem, including the Temple Mount and the Wailing Wall. And so to say that sometime in the future, Jerusalem is going to be such a peaceful place that old geezers are going to be sitting around just kind of enjoying themselves and boys and girls are going to be on the street, playing in the streets. Absolutely amazing. That is a cultural uh, revolution, to say the least. But now, verses 7 and 8, and then verse 20 through 23. In these remaining verses, there are actually two groups of people that are addressed, that are considered. Two groups of people. Demographically, two groups. Verses 7 and 8 refer to one group of people. And then I've seen fit to skip down to verse 20. And verse 20 through 23 refer to another group of people. Who are the two groups of people? Well, first of all, the first group are identified as my people. My people. And that's verses 7 and 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people. Now, who are his people? To whom is he referring? He's referring to the Jews, the chosen people. And he says, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country. You remember, the Jews were scattered all over the place, from the east to the west, from the west to the east. And God says, I'm going to save my people in the future from the east country and the west country, and I will bring them, that is to say, I will regather them. I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. So what God through Zechariah says is, though the Jews have been scattered historically for many, many years now, in the future, there is going to be a regathering of Jewish people, not just from one or two countries, but from all over the place, east, west, north, south. There's hardly any country that does not have a Jewish person in it. Now, does this mean that in the future, every single Jew living on the earth is going to come back to Israel? I don't think so. But what it does mean is that there is going to be a huge, dramatic influx of Jews sometime in the future in the land of Israel. But not only is there going to be a regathering, but there's going to be a rebirth. And that's the important thing. Not only is it a regathering of the Jewish people, but there's going to be a rebirth. And that's uh, verse 7 and verse 8, but specifically verse 8, where it says, when they're regathered, they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. 
Now, I would suggest to you that that has begun. It's already started. Uh, that Jews have started to come back. And it's been, it started out as a trickle in the early 1900s. It continued to grow since the birth of the state of Israel in 1948. It's increased even more. 1990 and 91, guess what? In two years, one million Russian Jews came to Israel in a two-year period of time. But what God says through Zechariah is that that's going to continue even more in the future. And not only are they coming back, but they are going to be open to the Lord and open to his gospel. And I would say to you, having worked with Hebrew Christian Fellowship for over 30 years now, in the last 10 years, there has been a dramatic increase in the number of or, or the, the responsiveness the openness of Jewish people to the gospel, and frankly, the number of Jewish believers in Israel and in other parts of the world. Now, do I think that that's going, that is the complete fulfillment of this? No, but it is the beginning of that. Well, that's the one group of people. Who are the other people? Well, that would be verses 20 through 23. These are the people known as the nations. You see them in verse 23. Uh, Ten men from the nations. The Hebrew word for nations is goyim, goyim. That's the word that also is used to refer to the Gentiles. So a Gentile is a goy. More than one Gentiles, more than one Gentile is the goyim, the goyim, or the nations. And so you see in the Jewish mindset, and in some ways in the scriptures, there are only two groups of people in this world, them and us. And the us would be the Jews, and the them would be everybody else. And so this group of people referred to is actually the Gentiles of the world. And God through Zechariah says, there is even going to be a gathering of Gentiles to the land of Israel. Not the kind of regathering of the Jews, but there is going to be increasing, could I put it this way, increasing travel in this future period of time of Gentiles to the Holy Land. I don't know if there's going to be an El Al at that period of time, the Jewish airline, but if so, it's going to do really, really well uh, because of this. And so how do we know that? Well, let's see. Verse 20, thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord. That's Jehovah, by the way. That's why it's in full caps. Let us entreat the favor of Jehovah, the Lord, and to seek Jehovah, the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. So come along. We're going to go. We're going to take a trip to Israel. And, and we're, we're going we're gonna to try to find out what God has to tell us. Verse 22. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. And then, of course, a most amazing statement is verse 23. But before that, you see this gathering of the Gentiles. But again, it's not just a gathering. It's a rebirth. It's a spiritual awakening of these people because, verse 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, so it hasn't happened yet, in those days, 10 men from the nations, the Goyim, the Gentiles, of every tongue shall 
grab a hold of the robe of a Jew and will say, let us go with you to Jerusalem. Let us just hang around with you. For we have heard that God is with you. Has that happened yet? Well, sort of. Because it is true that there have been times in history when 10 Gentiles have grabbed hold of a Jew. And they've taken him out of town and said, don't ever come back again. It's happened a lot. But this is different. This is 10 Gentiles seeing, hey, there's a Jew over there. And they run on over and they say, are you Jewish? Yeah. Well, can we hang around with you? Because we've heard that God is with you. Let me tell you, that is a spiritual transformation. Now you're sitting here and you're asking this question. How in the world is that going to happen? Can that really happen? I just, that's too good to be true. I just can't fathom that. Well, don't feel too badly because the people of Zechariah's day felt the same way. Look back at verse 6. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people, that is, this group of Jews to whom Zechariah prophesied, and they just heard his prophecy, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, in other words, if they say, Whoa, wow, this is too good to be true. Should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts? It's God's way of saying, I know you have trouble featuring this. I know you have trouble thinking this is going to happen. But guess what? I'm God. I can do anything. God is almighty. And when God makes a promise, he keeps it. And we've just seen what he has promised. This world is going to be like sometime in the future when Jesus returns. And as the title of this series would indicate, promises made, promises kept. And you can take that to the bank. Thanks for listening to Ancient Words, Modern Message. You can expect a new episode every other Monday, so please join us again. Ancient Words, Modern Message is supported by Hebrew Christian Fellowship. To learn more about our ministry or to ask a question, contact us at hcfellowship4819 at gmail.com. If you know someone who might be interested in this teaching, please share it with them. And please consider leaving a review of what you've heard on Apple Podcast. Your input helps us make our program even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for Ancient Words, Modern Message, scroll down until you see Write a Review, and tell us what you think. Ancient Words, Modern Message is produced by Studio D Podcast Production.
And I'm your host, Roger Womble, reminding you that the Word of God is living and active. Until next time, showers of blessings on you and those you love.